0: We can make a difference.
1: Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Actually, please stick around. Thanks.
0: In a world overflowing with movies, we need a hero. Someone to separate the man from the start job.
1: Hi everyone, I'm Em and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 72, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. Welcome to Christmas, without the T because it's Chris, uh, yeah okay maybe that didn't work but (laughs) uh, so I've basically decided to take the festive season and dedicate it to the best possible Hollywood Chris, Chris Evans. Uh, ...in his most famous and celebrated role of Captain America. Obviously, the last episode was on Captain America The First Avenger... ...and obviously this episode is on Captain America The Winter Soldier... ...so you can probably guess what the next episode is going to be... ...but, you know, I'm going to announce it later... ...so, yeah, maybe stick around for that. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, thank you for being here. Uh, Thank you for continuing to stay well. Uh, and, And like I say, thank you for joining me yet again for another Captain America movie... And a massive thank you for all of the wonderful comments for Captain America the First Avenger. I think generally that is a movie that is, like I said, incredibly underrated. But it's a movie so many people love uh, and just get so much pleasure out of. Um, And so I was delighted to be able to highlight Captain America the First Avenger. And today we're going to be talking about Captain America the Winter Soldier. Obviously Captain America the First Avenger led us into the Avengers and Captain America the Winter Soldier follows Iron Man 3 and Thor the Dark World before kind of detouring to Guardians of the Galaxy and into Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, it's also worth saying as well, be more Winter Soldier. And by that I don't mean become an assassin, because no one wants anyone to become an assassin. But the Winter Soldier is very good at wearing his mask. He has always got the safety of his victims in mind. <laughs> um but, um, but without further ado, let's have a listen to the trailer for Captain America, the Winter Soldier.
0: Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. He's a ghost. You'll never find him. shield to protect people you have to build a better world sometimes means tearing the old one down but that makes enemies Takes is one step. People are gonna die. I can't let that happen. Captain America needs my help. When do we start? We just did. The price of freedom is high. It's a price I'm willing to pay. You told me not to trust anyone. This is how it ends. Everything goes. Looks like you're giving the orders now, Captain. Damn right. guys from the bad guys. If they're shooting at you, they're bad.
1: For Steve Rogers, awakening after decades of suspended animation involves more than catching up on pop culture. It also means that this old school idealist must face a world of subtler threats and difficult moral complexities. That becomes clear when director Nick Fury is killed by the mysterious assassin, the Winter Soldier, but not before he warns Rogers that S.H.I.E.L.D. has been infiltrated by HYDRA. When Rogers acts on Fury's warning to trust no one, he is branded as a traitor by the organisation. Now a fugitive, Captain America must get to the bottom of this deadly mystery with the help of Natasha Romanoff and his new friend, Sam Wilson. However, the battle will be costly, with Rogers finding enemies where he least expects them as well as learning that the Winter Soldier looks disturbingly familiar. So let's quickly go through the cast of this movie. Obviously, it's chris Merce, so (laughs) you know it's Chris Evans as Steve Rogers, a.k.a. Captain America. In this movie, we also have Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow. Sebastian Stan returns as Bucky Barnes, a.k.a. the Winter Soldier. Anthony Mackie as Sam Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. Kobe Smulders as Maria Hill, Frank Grillo as Brock Rumlow, Emily Van Camp as Sharon Carter, although she's not called Sharon Carter in this movie, she is called Kate or Agent 13, but technically she's Sharon Carter. Hayley Atwell as Peggy Carter, Robert Redford as Alexander Pierce and Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Toby Jones also reprises his role from The First Avenger as Arnim Zola as well as Maximiliano Hernandez as Jasper Sitwell. He was in Thor and the Avengers. And Stan Lee cameos as the Smithsonian Guard, who is probably going to get fired because the Captain America suit disappears. Um, The screenplay of this movie was, again, by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. You remember those names from the previous episode. You'll also remember those names going forward as well. Uh, It was based on Captain America by Joe Simon and Jack Kirby. And it was directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. And I feel like with this episode, I don't really want to revisit the history of Captain America in the comics. Because that history was integral to Captain America the First Avenger. So what I will say is if you do want the briefest of brief histories, and i have nick that from our good friends The Midnight Myth who do briefest of brief recaps, but if you do want the briefest of brief histories on Steve Rogers' Captain America, go listen to Captain America The First Avenger if you haven't because this episode is kind of going to be designed to follow on from that one uh, as The Winter Soldier follows on effectively from The First Avenger as well as The Avengers. Um, And I want to use this episode to primarily talk about Steve's history with Bucky... And Bucky as a character, as well as a little bit of Sam Wilson. I briefly mentioned in the previous episode that in the Origins Road of Captain America, Bucky Barnes was effectively Cap's kid sidekick. Uh, Bucky, the, the character of Bucky, was named after creator Joe Simon's high school friend, Bucky Pearson. And Bucky as a character worked as a team with Captain America during many missions fighting Nazis, both as a duo and part of the larger team, The Invaders. Bucky also features as part of the non-Sib Hero Ability sidekick team, Young Allies. He joined Captain America for their 1945 fight against Baron Zemo. I mentioned that last episode. And obviously, just to kind of go over that, Zemo is trying to launch a plane with explosives to bomb New York. It all sounds very familiar. Uh, Bucky successfully tries to defuse the bomb and it explodes, leaving him presumably killed in action. This explosion throws Captain America into the freezing Atlantic Ocean, where he stays on ice before being resurrected by the Avengers. This is obviously the comics. The movie is slightly different. And the thing with comics is death never truly means dead. Uh, Characters are resurrected often, especially in things like alternative universes, of which Cap has a few, uh, as well as in the same timelines. As the line goes, uh, in my favourite movie of all time, The Mummy... Death is only the beginning, and this is very true for comic book characters that presumably die, because they never really do. The Mummy is episode 13 of this podcast, Uh, please check it out, because it is literally the greatest movie ever made. And there's a mantra among comic book readers, and it's called the Bucky Clause, and it basically states that no one stays dead except Bucky, Jason Todd and Uncle Ben. Uh, the Bucky obviously being Barnes, Jason Todd being the Jason Todd version of Robin who inherits the mantle from Dick Grayson and Uncle Ben is from Spider-Man and obviously Uncle Ben's died so many times in the movies now it's almost hard to fathom and there was a reason for this supposed final death of Bucky Barnes and that was that Marvel didn't like using kid sidekicks because often they were minors And just go back to Galaxy Quest. I don't mean they worked in a mine. I meant that they were miners. (laughs) I've done an episode on Galaxy Quest as well. It's very funny. But because they were miners, uh, no responsible superhero wants to endanger someone under the age of 18. Um, It's kind of brought up a little bit in Civil War uh, with the teenage Spider-Man. But we're going to come to Civil War later. So park that. Obviously, sales was also uh, a big reason for this. Because the idea was, well, if a character like Uncle Ben lives, where's the motivation for young Peter Parker to become Spider-Man? There kind of isn't. So Uncle Ben has to stay dead. Um, And it was very much the same with Bucky Barnes. It was like, well, there's no real place in this universe for a kid sidekick character. So let's just get rid of Bucky Barnes. Stan Lee uh, himself very much disliked the plot device of the kid sidekick. And when he reinvented Captain America in the 60s and 70s, it was without any sort of teenage sidekick. Uh, It was specifically to have a World War II veteran Cap have to readjust to a new era. And that was obviously the era of Vietnam and Watergate. And Bucky Barnes was therefore deemed to be actually dead, like for real dead. As there have been many iterations of Captain America, there have also been many characters using the alias Bucky, including Jack Monroe, who is an orphan, who assumes the identity of Bucky, as well as discovering that his history teacher has undergone plastic surgery, I am not lying, to look like and take the name Steve Rogers. So this fake Steve Rogers has found old Nazi information with the lost formula for the super soldier serum, and they both use it to fight communists as Captain America, in inverted commas, and Bucky, in inverted commas. Unfortunately for them, they start to turn insane, uh, paranoid and irrational, Uh, due to the serum and what it actually does we've seen what it does with Red Skull Uh, coincidentally Jack Monroe would be killed by the Winter Soldier who obviously again we will come to Uh, Rick Jones was also introduced as Steve Rogers awakens in the modern era and takes the mantle of Bucky but Steve is still grieving for his lost friend and that kind of doesn't really go anywhere Bucky Barnes would be resurrected against the Bucky Clause in the Ed Brubaker Winter Soldier storyline Like Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, Brubaker also worked for DC, where he worked on Batman and revamped Catwoman, as well as working on a team-up with Brian Michael Bendis of Marvel, where Batman teamed up with Daredevil. Brubaker was exclusive to DC until 2004, when he started writing for Marvel, where he started with Volume 5 of Captain America, like I said, when the long-dead Bucky Barnes is resurrected as the Winter Soldier. It was revealed in The Winter Soldier that Bucky did not die during World War II, that his body had been preserved by the cold knife, but his left arm had been severed. Suffering from amnesia, scientists attached a bionic arm and he was programmed to be a Soviet assassin. He also works with Natasha Romanoff during her training in the Red Room and the two have a romantic relationship. In the movie, Natasha would admit to knowing of the Winter Soldier, but obviously none of their history is explored on screen. Discontinuity between the original story arcs and Lee's changed story arcs were cleaned up and the 1962 timeline clearly stated in no uncertain terms that Bucky Barnes was dead, which at that time left a spot open for Captain America to have a new, slightly more adult partner. And Falcon fitted that bill perfectly. And Sam Wilson, a.k.a. The Falcon, uh, he would debut in 1969 and he was created by Stan Lee and Gene Colan, Uh, He debuted in Captain America number 117. And although Black Panther came before him, Falcon is equally important when it comes to black superhero representation in comic books. Black Panther, as I mentioned in his episode, debuted in 1966 and himself starred alongside Captain America several times. But Falcon is known for his partnership with Captain America primarily. Marvel was dedicated to expanding the diversity of the comic book universe at the time. And I kind of mentioned that a little bit more in the Black Panther episode which obviously I would highly recommend. It's one of my most popular episodes that I've ever done, uh, which still amazes me, by the way, but people really love the episode on Black Panther. Um, I will be recommending Black Panther at the end of this episode like I normally recommend episodes, but I would absolutely recommend that you listen to Black Panther. It is episode number 68 of this podcast. Both Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson would take up the Captain America mantle at some point in the comic books, And as we know, and I don't think anyone needs spoilers for Endgame, but the MCU will continue with Sam Wilson as Captain America, who, in my opinion, sort of talking about the MCU, was always the better choice against Bucky Barnes. I know what Bucky does is against his will, and he's essentially brainwashed, but he still murdered a lot of people. Um, And obviously the most important of which will come about and we'll learn about in Civil War. And I think it's important to note that Captain America doesn't murder innocent people. As I said, Captain America the Winter Soldier would adapt the Ed Brubaker story from 2005, it would introduce Falcon, it would re-establish the working relationship between Cap and Black Widow, and it would cement the MCU's Captain America as a bit of a force to be reckoned with. And even before Captain America the First Avenger was released in 2011, screenwriters Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely had already been hired to work on the sequel, And it was originally planned as a present-day movie containing period World War II flashbacks throughout, but they scrapped that idea to be more of Captain America coming to terms with not only the events of the Avengers, but also his adjustment into the modern world, having been frozen for 50 years. It took Marcus and McFeely six months of back and forth before they convinced themselves they could adapt Ed Brubaker's Winter Soldier storyline, which would link back to the experimentation Arnim Zola had performed on Bucky Barnes while he was captured by HYDRA. It would also be a modern-day political conspiracy thriller. Uh, They cited Three Days of the Condor, The Parallax View and Marathon Man as influences. Captain America's distrust of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s attempt to protect, and I use that in inverted commas, the public would contrast his core values of freedom and truth. These influences were also set during the time in which Stanley reinvented Cap, sort of in the 60s and 70s. And this was a time of political intrigue and conspiracy theories. Of course, the Hydra reveal, although seemingly out of the blue, would change the MCU irrevocably. The good guys were mostly bad. And this is despite Tony Stark never actually learning so when he downloads all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secrets in The Avengers, and that's a minor plot hole that I'm more than willing to let slip because I adore this movie completely. I will tell you lots of times that I love this movie. Uh, (laughs) Hydra has been in control of S.H.I.E.L.D. all of this time, and S.H.I.E.L.D. agents were putting in a precarious position of doing what they were told and living, or essentially dying if they went against Hydra. Brothers Anthony and Joe Russo were selected to direct against other candidates, including F. Gary Gray, who was also up for Black Panther as well, and George Nolfi. The Russo brothers were, at the time, primarily known for their work on comedy series, Arrested Development, Community, and Happy Endings, as well as the Owen Wilson comedy, You, Me, and Dupree. Interestingly, post The Winter Soldier, they were lined up to direct an all-male counterpart for Paul Feig's Ghostbusters, under the now sadly defunct Ghost Corps umbrella. Uh, I did an episode on Ghostbusters recently. uh, It didn't mention that. But that's a movie that I have a lot of time for, uh, by the way. It was their work on the season two finale of Community, which got them noticed by Kevin Feige. And this is one of the things that I love about Marvel and about Kevin Feige, is here are a pair of wildcard directors who aren't known for their high-octane political action thrillers. But Marvel have tended to get these exciting directors before, And it's mostly kind of paid off. And they clearly saw something in the Russo brothers because it got them the returning jobs of Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. So clearly, unlike some directors that Marvel's worked with, because there are a few that have kind of done one job and never come back or started a job in the uh, vein of Edgar Wright and never finished it and kind of never come back, the Russo brothers seem to be slotting into Marvel Studios very well. Um, The Russos actually met with Ed Brubaker to learn more about the Winter Soldier character and decided to include modern fears and conspiracies of things like government targeting, global surveillance and drone warfare, all as part of HYDRA's plan to dominate the world stage by way of fear mongering. And that's something that we all know a little about. Uh, especially at the moment with recent conspiracy theories surrounding things like coronavirus vaccine. There's a lot of misinformation out there and there's a lot of fear out there as well because of this misinformation and how misinformation and how fear spreads. It's this reason, along with many, many other reasons, why I really, really enjoy this movie because it's unlike anything else that the MCU has done and it stands out uh, in that. But it's relatable because you can kind of relate to the feelings of kind of conspiracy theories and government suspicion, uh, uh, corporate suspicion and stuff like that. I find it very fascinating. So the idea was to partner Captain America with characters who didn't have their own movie universes to go back to. Uh, Originally, Hawkeye was supposed to be in this movie. It was basically a mix of Jeremy Renner's schedule, couldn't really accommodate it. And also they just kind of figured, well... We've got Black Widow, and she can basically do a lot of the things that Hawkeye can do. So they just kind of kept Black Widow. Nick Fury uh, was obviously director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and Nick Fury had cameoed or appeared in the vast majority of the MCU movies up to this point. Nick Fury was director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and so became the focal point of the internal access to the conspiracy. Steve was partnered with Natasha Romanoff, who he met during the Avengers, And both were working under the S.H.I.E.L.D. umbrella and had become close, kind of being opposite sides of the same coin in many respects. Chris Evans and Scarlett Johansson had met in 2004 on the set of The Perfect Score and reunited three years later on The Nanny Diaries. Their off-screen friendship, at this point lasting a good 10 years, helped them to develop the chemistry between Steve and Natasha, which is never fully romantic in this movie, and that's a good thing as far as I'm concerned. There is a ship out there called Romanoges, uh, which I didn't know about until I started researching for this movie. I can fully understand why there is a ship for these characters. Um, and it's funny as well that subsequent romantic pairings for the two, uh, for Steve and Natasha, never seem to quite gel. Uh, so obviously Steve is kind of paired off with Sharon Carter, and that is just full-on weird. Um, and Natasha has a thing with Bruce, which again it's all shades of wrongness uh, in that, so the whole Steve and Natasha thing actually works very well in this movie, and as much as I like the fact they didn't go with a romantic lead uh, for Steve, which they were going to do, but I'm I'm going to come to that later, I really like the chemistry that Steve and Natasha have in this movie, it's one of my favourite things about it, it's where we get some really good quality lines uh, and Evans and Johansson, they would actually contribute lines to the script because they were like, well, we're friends. How would we talk to each other? It's good kind of friendly banter and it really does work for these characters and it really shows a connection between these characters. Um, and I'm really sorry, uh, Roman Odges shippers, that you didn't get a proper kind of Steve and Natasha relationship, but... I do feel like having a romantic entanglement in this movie with everything else going on, I feel like it would be too busy. This movie is, without a shadow of a doubt, the best on-screen Natasha Romanoff. Uh, It's the best work that I think Scarlett Johansson has done in the MCU. She is given the best lines. She is given the best looks. She is skilled. She's able. She is sexy. She's knowledgeable. And she's also there for her own agenda because Steve believes that she's there to support him. Uh, But she's kind of not, you know, she's on the Lemurian star and she's kind of got her own mission kind of separate to his. And I kind of feel like, yeah, does she inexplicably manage to cheat death uh, by the Winter Soldier? Sure. But this is the best MCU Black Widow. Um, And it's actually really sad that we don't get more of this Natasha in future. I really, really hope that we see some of this Natasha in Black Widow, uh, which is now due out next year. I really want to see more of this Natasha, especially now that the character is, as I said, I'm going to spoil it the hell out of Endgame. N- now that this character is dead, uh, Black Widow is the last that we will see of this character, presumably. So we need to see this level of Natasha because it is the best of Natasha. As I said, it's worth noting that several high profile actors were auditioned for a love interest role. Uh, it kind of presumably ended up being Sharon Carter, but Sharon Carter isn't written as a love interest really in this movie. The likes of Amelia Clark, Jessica Brown Finley, Teresa Palmer, Imogen Poots, and Alison Bree all tested for the role. And like I say, it's to the film's credit that it doesn't go down the love interest route. Uh, it's kind of a bit of a detriment actually to Civil war that that does, but again, I'm kind of skipping ahead. We'll come back to Civil War. Anthony Mackie actually wrote to Marvel and basically said he'd be up for playing any role. Uh, He kind of went on record to say he was angling for Black Panther, uh, which obviously went to the late Chadwick Boseman, but his persistence paid off when he ended up getting the role of Sam Wilson instead, who, as I said, going forward, is pinnacle to the future of the MCU as the new Captain America. So we're going to be seeing a lot more of Anthony Mackie in the future. Screen icon Robert Redford, whose career started way back in 1960, was delighted to work on a Marvel movie because he wanted to impress his grandchildren. Uh, And his casting was, in part, a homage to his roles in movies like Three Days of the Condor, which, as I said, was a massive influence on the scope and scale of this movie. Captain America the Winter Soldier was primarily filmed in Cleveland, Ohio, and the government in Cleveland provided the production large locations, such as Three Miles Worth of Empty Freeway, for key action scenes. It was also shot in California on the dock to sea launch commander and also in Washington, D.C. And the idea was to make the Winter Soldier as practical as possible uh, with copious amounts of stunt work and classic framing and natural lighting. And while the first Avenger would be grounded by the harsh reality of war, the Winter Soldier would be grounded by the harsh reality of leaving everything you knew behind and relearning how the world worked. Trent Operlock, who was the director of photography, emulated those 1970s thrillers by using handheld ARRI Alexa Plus 4.3 cameras with Panavision anamorphic lenses and Codex digital recorders. Fight scenes, and you know I love a good fight scene, uh, they were extensively choreographed, and a lot of the fight scenes, such as the one-on-one between Cap and the Winter Soldier on the freeway and bridge, included knife flips, martial arts, gymnastics and parkour, And a lot of the stunts in the movie were done by Chris Evans himself. There is a video on Twitter of him rehearsing the lift fight, or elevator fight, if you will. Uh, A lot of the choreography for fight scenes and how Steve moved was actually inspired by the Captain America video game. And this was a game that Chris Evans himself actually played. This was um, also a pivotal scene where Steve realised who the Winter Soldier actually was. And obviously the Winter Soldier not knowing who Steve was. Most of the standout scenes of the movie revolve around Steve and Bucky, and this is obviously on purpose. They are both in the title, after all. But while Natasha remains fairly low-key, it's her kind of suave sensibility to lie that actually helps the morally sound and just Steve from being captured by Hydra. And as I said, massive props to Scarlett Johansson, who really does keep up with a super soldier with some ease. Uh, She also did a surprising amount of stunts herself, but most of her acrobatic stunts are performed by her stunt person, Heidi Moneymaker, who has been training and doubling Johansson since she was cast in Iron Man 2. Lola, uh, you'll remember those from their work on Captain America The First Avenger. They return to the production to help with some of the flashbacks to pre-serum Steve with Bucky, as well as the ageing effects on Hayley Atwell's Peggy Carter, who is now a woman in her 90s suffering from dementia. To do this, they used the features of an elderly actress and superimposed them onto Haley Atwell. The most VFX work was done on Falcon, whose wings were all CGI, and obviously the helicarriers, which were all CGI as well. But a remarkable amount of work on this movie was practical, which in the CG-heavy world of the MCU feels a little bit of a luxury, but it goes some way to prove how much they wanted to go for that old-school 70s suspense thriller over a CGI-laden spectacle. It's even more of a spectacle when you realise so much of it is practical on purpose. I mean, it's obviously not completely practical. It still had over 2,500 visual effects shots, uh, and 900 of those were done by Industry stalwarts Industrial Light and Magic. But they did purposely choose to shoot a lot of the stuff practically. Um, and you can tell a lot of it is practical as well, because it just looks really, really damn good. 350 different versions of the finished film were made to accommodate for different domestic formats and international versions, the most obvious feature of which is Steve's list, which showed different items to research depending on where you watched the movie. So five items remained the same throughout, and they were Thai food, Star Wars slash Trek, Nirvana, parentheses band, Rocky, parentheses Rocky 2, question mark, and Trouble Man, parentheses, soundtrack. Whereas five were regional, depending on where you watch the movie. So here in the UK, we had TV show Sherlock, Moon Landing, The Beatles, World Cup Final 1966, and Sean Connery. The US gets I Love Lucy, Moon Landing, Berlin Wall, Up and Down, Steve Jobs, parentheses, Apple, and Disco, Uh, France. They get France 98, Louis Dufoon, Coluche, Daft Punk and The Fifth Element, Australia got ACDC, Space Travel, Steve Irwin, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo and Tim Tams and Korea got Dance Dance Revolution, Ji Sung Park, Boy, 2002 World Cup and Disco. Uh, There are others, you can find them all online. It's interesting that some of them copy each other, like there's a couple of instances of Disco (laughs) But, uh, but otherwise they are pretty unique to the country that the movie is being shown in which is Quite nice actually it's very rare that you'll find a movie that does that I mentioned before about how much I love this movie I feel like I can't put into words how much I love Captain America the Winter Soldier and I I mentioned last episode that Captain America the First Avenger was I kept saying it was underrated and I genuinely think it is and the First Avenger is a movie that I think always gets better every time you watch it whereas I kind of feel like the Winter Soldier it doesn't get better every time you watch it because it's so brilliant to start off with. There is no way it could be better. It's consistently great. Every single time you watch it, it's consistently great. It's brilliantly paced. It's got great character development. It's got brilliant chemistry between the characters. It's got humour as well, despite being you know, very politically charged, being a thriller full of espionage and all of that stuff. It carries the emotional weight from the first Avenger and kind of runs with it. Um, And it's kind of Steve's visit to a dementia-ridden Peggy, which is some of the most heartbreaking stuff in the whole of the MCU. This movie really changed the face of the MCU completely and it had lasting repercussions for the whole of Marvel's output, uh, which was mostly Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is obviously about S.H.I.E.L.D., and had to be retooled for the revelations that came from Winter Soldier. And I kind of feel like the MCU is unique in how it forms a full continuity universe between 23 individual movies so far. But for a movie to change that world so dramatically, only six years after its inception, Marvel needs to put out more stuff like this. Tell us that what we know, we didn't. And who we trusted, we couldn't. And maybe reveal that some characters aren't who they say they are. But I think with the Scrolls revelation... That may be where we're heading, and that excites me a great deal going forward. Right, moving on to the obligatory Keanu reference for this movie. So this is a feature that I like to do where I like to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And as I said last time, it's always quite difficult to link Keanu to the MCU because quite a lot of the stuff about Keanu and the MCU is literally just clickbait. But I did find that there's a surprising amount of fan art online for Keanu as the Winter Soldier. Uh, And Sebastian Stan is very much signed up to a nine-picture deal. So it's unlikely he'll be relinquished for Keanu. But it's always nice to see some great fan art. Um, Additionally, the man in Cairo that's mentioned by Jasper Sidwell is likely to be Moon Knight. And Oscar Isaac, he was actually in talks in October... I've not really heard much more about that, but Keanu was a fan choice for Moon Knight for a long time. Although, let's be honest, he's a fan choice of pretty much everything. The music in this movie, uh, the beginning of the film, contains themes from Alan Silvestri's score for The First Avenger, but the score for The Winter Soldier was composed by Henry Jackman. He would return for Civil War. I'm going to come back to Civil War. The score itself would actually end up being fairly negatively received by critics, who lamented the absence of Sylvester's first Avenger score and the overuse of electronic sounds and kind of compared it negatively to Hans Zimmer. Um, I kind of find, though, that it adds to the experience of the thrilling nature of this movie. And I kind of feel like, yeah, it's not the greatest score I've ever heard in the world, but it really works with this movie. Um, It really works to kind of ramp up the tension and the pace. So Captain America The Winter Soldier had its world premiere at the El Capitan Theatre, just like Captain America the First Avenger, on the 30th of March 2014. And it was released in 32 countries on the 26th of March 2014. And in the US, you had to wait a little bit, US listeners, uh, to the 4th of April 2014. Uh, It also opened at number one here in the UK, uh, as well as Russia and China. So it would open at the US box office at number one, and it would stay there for three weeks with no real competition till week four, when comedy The Other Woman would take the top spot. It would end up making $714.4 million worldwide on a $177 million budget, and within the MCU, it kind of sits in the middle of the group with regards to Worldwide Box Office. Its sequel, Civil War, would bust the billion-dollar mark, but again, that's for another time. This movie would make roughly double that The First Avenger made. And critically, this movie is overwhelmingly positive. It's sitting at 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, and I wholeheartedly agree. Black Panther is kind of still number one as far as the MCU critics are concerned, but Captain America the Winter Soldier is so up there um, that it does not surprise me that it's so overwhelmingly positive. Uh, And additionally... Uh, This movie was also nominated for an Academy Award. It was nominated for Best Visual Effects. It was up against Stablemate, Guardians of the Galaxy. It was also up against X-Men Days of Future Past, as well as Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, But they all lost to Interstellar. And if you've been not living under a rock, then you will know that it was followed in 2016 by a sequel called Captain America Civil War. Uh, But obviously more on that in a little bit. Right, I want to move over to social media thoughts and I find it quite interesting actually on this podcast in that I always ask for social media thoughts and I ask on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Facebook and Instagram I don't tend to get very much. Twitter is normally the one that kind of delivers really when it comes to listener comments but I was very very surprised because i expected to get a lot for The Winter Soldier because it's so beloved by viewers and critics and pretty much everyone who watches it. Uh, but I got way more comments for The First Avenger than I got for The Winter Soldier. But nevertheless, we will go through the comments on Twitter. So we will start with at Agnew, who said... If the first Avenger made me love Steve Rogers, the Winter Soldier made me love what Cap could bring to a modern setting. As essentially Avengers 1.5 by way of Three Days of the Condor, the Winter Soldier stands tall as an MCU high point for combining furious action with theme and character. At MSMR Pod said, I'm such a fan of the Winter Soldier. At this point in the MCU, only Avengers Assemble had landed as hard with me, but this took me by surprise. Action, intrigue, humour, a hell of a cast, all knocking it out of the park. Manages to be both a satisfying story in its own right, as well as serving up some juicy implications for the rest of the series. Plus Jim from Neighbours. My first viewing was also in a completely empty cinema, so that was pretty awesome too. Need a cat marathon with the kids soon. At Derek Jones 198 said, How do you make an interesting movie when the protagonist is moral and physical perfection? Make everything you thought was true into an evil plot by Robert Redford. Also love the themes of international realism versus liberalism and how Fury's worldview under S.H.I.E.L.D. Hashtag Team Cap. At FNNerds said, Mixing the thrill of a superhero film with the suspense of a political thriller, Winter Soldier improves on the first film in every way possible. It features some of the best action sequences in the franchise and serves as a major turning point in the grand story of the MCU. At Surly Ham said, For a long time, this was my high watermark for the MCU, and for a while I didn't think it would ever come close to being topped. There's a couple now that have come close, but this still reigns supreme. It's at least in my top 20 films of all time, sometimes my top 10. Love it. At StuntGoat75 said, Still my favourite MCU film, a 70s conspiracy thriller disguised as a superhero film. They even managed to put the Watergate Hotel into the background of one sequence. At Ruslov's movies said The peak of the MCU for me. Compelling roster of characters, propulsive action sequences and narrative that in the moment felt like it was genuinely changing the cinematic universe it was part of. At Orland Square MFC said An excellent sequel that plays on the strength of the first. Our villain is S.H.I.E.L.D. itself and their henchman is his best friend to twist the knife. Cap gets paired with another highly competent woman and a new friend to help him connect to modern times. Love a bittersweet ending. At the Peter Briggs said, Probably the best Marvel movie. I find it very difficult to choose between this and the first Captain America. Even though they are poles apart in terms of approach, it's a minor miracle that Chris Evans is exactly the same Cap in both of them. The elevator scene. I mean... At Hank Pena said, Cap is defined by three scenes to me. The grenade, the elevator, the lone standoff with Thanos' army. At Your on Lord Nine said, Can I just say how much I love Natasha's role? I have loved her since the age of eight, and to see her on screen the way I've always imagined her was simply incredible. Her role has refined over the saga, but this is the film that made me believe her film would rot. Sigh. I feel like the film had a 007 feel to it, which could have gone disastrously wrong. Marvel being Marvel, though, made it work. It set up the smashing of the Avengers, beginning with Steve and Tony brilliantly. It's so difficult to see these two go at it, and of course, so was I, perfectly encapsulates the film's tone... And set up civil war nicely. However, this will always to me be known as the Tasha film. I felt like my eight-year-old self, completely in awe. I miss Natasha. At Movies Work said, A game changer surprisingly from the guys who produced the most underappreciated comedies of the 2010s. And at Geek Salad Radio said, On your left, this film redefined the direction of the MCU along with Guardians of the Galaxy. Really crafting a tense political drama and teamed with outstanding performances, Winter Soldier ranks among the top of the MCU. Moving over to Instagram, we have at FWMPod, who said, Given the cameo by former UFC champion Georges St-Pierre as Georges Batroc, this is right up my alley. But beyond that, this movie has some of the best action sequences in the MCU, and I loved getting the backstory on Bucky
0: at Movies at the Mat said,
1: This is an excellent sequel in every way by building on the previous movie and making it better. It is my favourite movie in the MCU because the theme of the price we pay for freedom and if it's worth it will always remain relevant. Additionally, the Winter Soldier is a legitimately scary villain the first few times we see him only to be perfectly humanised when he's revealed to be Bucky and whether he's debating with Nick Fury or fighting to save Bucky's soul Steve Rogers proves his greatest power is his humanity. And finally, over on Facebook, we have Matthew who said, The Russo brothers soundly delivered a unique political thriller but ramped up the traditional intrigue of a Jack Ryan movie with next level super soldier fuelled action. Of course, Steve is still a shining beacon of virtue who will do what is right no matter what the cost is. Combine that with Black Widow at her peak, Nick Fury at his most suspicious, and a heartbreaking origin story for our movie's antagonist, and you have a real winner. And such a great and grounded introduction for Falcon. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? The idea of watching a suspenseful political thriller is honestly never top of my watch list. Um, But the fact that Marvel like to mix up the genres of movies they produce, it really does keep the studio's output consistently fresh and exciting. Captain America the Winter Soldier is one of my MCU go-to movies. And that same year we also got Guardians of the Galaxy, which is another staple for me. I mean... I would quite happily watch Captain America, the Winter Soldier and Guardians of the Galaxy on repeat and the mummy on repeat for the rest of my life. Uh, I genuinely love both of them. Um, Everything about this movie just works um, from kind of the cliffhangers, which I know no one's ever really dead. But you genuinely do think that Nick Fury is dead the first time you watch this movie. Um, And to the character moments and the fight scenes, which, you know, I love uh, and the effects Everything about the Winter Soldier works Um, and watching it so soon after the first Avenger really hits home the heartbreak and loss Steve felt at Bucky's death and the subsequent shock at his resurrection. It adds a layer to the first Avenger without taking any of the heart from that movie but it also makes us ask what price we're willing to pay for freedom and whether the people in charge actually do have our best interests at heart. There have been many memes recently of government officials whispering Hail Hydra to each other. I mean, that is particularly scary, I have to say, and I shudder at the thought. But it does make you think. And often the best movies are the ones that we find enjoyable and we get pleasure from watching, but also the ones that actually make us think. But really, Captain America the Winter Soldier is just really great. (laughs) It's just really great. Uh, But yeah. Serious, though, it should make you think. But anyway, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Captain America, The Winter Soldier. If you do like this episode, or any episode, I would love it if you could take a moment to rate and review on something like Apple Podcasts, or you can tell your friends about this podcast. That is just as great for me. If you do like this episode on Captain America, The Winter Soldier... You might also like the following episodes. Um, and last time for the first Avenger, I recommended Sky Captain, Hellboy, X-Men, The Rocketeer, and Black Panther. Uh, and to be honest, I would probably recommend all of those again. But I kind of feel like for the sake of a little bit of variance, um, I probably shouldn't. But I would recommend definitely Black Panther. That's episode 68. Um, just because it's another kind of exemplary Uh, MCU movie in every single way possible Um, and obviously also episode 71, Captain America, The First Avenger because if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to that, well, I mean you missed out on a longer episode because it's just jam-packed full of comic book history but I would definitely recommend you listen to The First Avenger I haven't really covered any kind of political thrillers Um, and like I say, they're not normally my favourite things to watch but I could happily watch this Repeat so clearly, what I'm saying to Hollywood is I will watch your insert genre movie here uh, as long as it's got a superhero element to it. Clearly, Um, but give me feedback on my recommendations as always. And obviously, you know what the next movie in this is because I am doing the Captain America trilogy clearly. Uh, And technically, the next movie is kind of more of an Avengers movie uh, in its entirety. But it also contains interesting repercussions from this movie, as well as the continuation of the Stephen Bucky story. So, you know, Captain America Civil War is the next episode. It is the final movie of Christmas uh, before the actual Christmas episode, which is going to be coming out on Christmas Eve um, so look out for the Christmas episode on Christmas Eve but otherwise Christmas will be concluded with Captain America Civil War you can find me and follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and Letterbox at Verbal Diorama if you wish to sign up and support the show financially that would just be incredible, I have a Patreon it's patreon.com verbaldiorama Verbal Diorama and the tiers start at $2 or £2 a month and I've been running this thing called 20 in 2020 and it's basically, I wanted to get 20 patrons in 2020. And 2020 has been a bit of a rubbish year for most people. So I kind of didn't really expect to get anywhere near. And I was kind of going to say, well, if I don't get 20 in 2020, I'll just move it on and do 20 in 2021 or something like that. But last episode I announced two new patrons and I was just blown away by that. And then this episode there is another brand new patron so I have to say a massive thank you to the brand new patron who is Trevor and he has signed up at the Jack Traven tier, he also hosts the podcast The Digressor and bizarrely I now have 17 out of 20 patrons so this might just work Uh, I'm not counting my chickens in any way um, but this might happen and I would be so excited if it did. Um, You're under no obligation, by the way, to support me financially. Everything I do, everything I put out on this podcast, on the main feed, is free, and it always will be. But uh, a massive thank you, obviously, to the patrons of Verbal Diorama. They are Simon E, Sade, Hardiel, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Jason, Kristen, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Matt, and Trevor. Thank you to those guys for always being on my left. I have a merch store. If you want to buy merch, which, you know, I'll be honest, not many people do, (laughs) and that's fine. Like, that's absolutely fine. Uh, But if you do, it's at teespring.com slash stores slash verbal diorama. You can email me if you want, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. Just say hi. I will always reply to people who say hi to me, whether that's on email or social media Uh, I will always say hi. Um, You can also get in touch at verbaldiorama.com and um, still write for Film Stories. So the latest issue of the magazine is dropping on doorsteps as I record this episode. So check that out. Check out the website and continue to support Film Stories. Film Stories has been such a joy for me. It's been a wonderful thing to be involved with and to be part of that family and yeah, I, I hope it's gonna it's something that will continue, sort of going into 2021 as well. Um uh, basically, I hope that Simon Brew is not bored for me yet. <laughs> but um, I mean, there's a high probability he is, but at the moment <laughs> I'm still doing a lot with film stories. I'm still doing podcast recommendations. Uh and obviously, like I say, if you are a British movie podcast and you want to be involved, and you haven't been yet, just give me a shout. There's a chance that you're on my list, but there's a chance that you're not on my list. And finally, just so you know, I'm with you till the end of the line. Bye.